ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. I just want to let you guys know that when I woke up yesterday, it was five degrees. And, you know, I've largely resolved that you ain't going to get me out here complaining about the weather and all of that stuff like that because I had my time in the sun. You understand? It was five degrees outside. It was wind chill that was like way below six. I mean, like the six below. It was way below the six below. I, 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 I had no idea. Man, I got off the train when I was going to work. And, bro, my face hurt. I left work, and I normally take the train home. And I was like, you know what? I can make it home. I ain't, you know, I'll take the train. Man, that wind was flipping, working, whipping weight. Man, I got in that car so fast to go to the crib. It was ridiculous. That's like utterly preposterous. Five degrees, man. I believe that is the coldest I have ever been. I don't have like definitive evidence of this fact, but I'm pretty sure that is the coldest I have ever been in my life. And you know what dawned on me about five degrees? Cause we ain't going to talk about how it affects me. I was ultimately going to be all right. I don't own a car, right? I don't, I just don't have one. Um, a lot of people here do like you got kids, for example, you need to own a car, you know, like it's just one of those things that you need to do. I just don't have a car. Can you imagine what it's like if you out here parking your car on the street and you got to jump in that bad boy in the morning and it's five degrees, five degrees. And it's New York. I know that we've come a long way with regards to technology that allows you to start up your car without you in it. But there's somebody out there who's still only way they can do it is go put their keys in that bad boy. Can't do that in New York. You ain't going to have no car. Not for long. So you just getting in your car. And it's five degrees. Five degrees. I was walking out of job today. And they got like a setup out there. A car company is set up. Um, and they got a little little uh, temporary building. And it's warm in there. I went in there and got me some hot apple cider. It was really tasty. And the person working in there told us that it's cool out there when the sun out. But if the sun go away, it gets super cold. And that they got to like get up in the car. They got a car parked out there. They got to get out there to get warm. Like turn that on, turn on the heat, whatever it is. I'm like, man, I hope you don't get got. Like that seemed like a great way to mess around and get got. Now the person that got him would ultimately get robbed. But I mean, like arrested. They wouldn't get robbed. They'd ultimately get arrested. They wouldn't be able to get very far. But I imagine they would get got. And I just want to send a shout out to all y'all that's in these other parts of the country that's even colder than it is here in New York. Because I know what y'all going through, man. I know y'all fighting hard. And I know in spite of everything you say about toughness and the likes, man, y'all miserable as hell. Y'all are, and it's fine. I understand why y'all are miserable. I get it. I ain't the type that's going to express it all the time, but at least I'm out here doing this cold thing in, like, one of the dopest cities in the world. Some of y'all just up there cold and everything closed at 9 o'clock, and maybe it's best that everything closed at 9 o'clock because after 9 o'clock it get too cold for you to go outside. All right, maybe that's what it is. Earlier, man, like yesterday, me and Lance, we do a meeting on Monday. You know, we get on the uh, we get on the computer, we face to face it. You know what I'm saying? Using the technology, 
And I asked Lance what the weather was down there where he at. Cause I figured it was five degrees where I was, right? So I figured it must be, you know, something similar to this everywhere else. I'm like, man, you staying warm down there? He's like, yeah, man, it's like 37. Man, I ain't never wanted to fight Lance so bad in my life. He out here talking to me about some 37. Let me look right here. When are we going to get some 37? Okay. We're going to get some 37 tomorrow. It's a high of 48. On Thursday, it's raining, but it's a high of 56. And I just cannot explain to you the changes in my life that come with that level of excitement I got about that 56 degrees. Bro, I was in L.A. last year during the All-Star game, and they were getting temperatures into 50. And I swear on everything, the news was treating that like it was a blizzard. Like the 50s, they were not prepared for that. Like, I think the lows were getting in the high 30s or 40s. Bro, they was ready to move. They was ready to get out of there. It was bubble coats. Straight up. Man, here's say Bo said his coat game was going to be strong. I want to see what coat he's wearing because it's cold as hell, man. I got that goose, baby. I be out there like, like my coat game is ready. I got me a hat with uh something resembling rabbit fur. Let me tell you, one day I wore my hat. It's got like the ear flaps, like the Elmer Fudd joint, right? Stephen A. Smith's in the office. He made fun of me. He was like, you really need that hat? You really need all of that? You really need all of that? And I was like, look, man, I just don't like it when my ears are cold. Like, no matter what it is, I don't like it when my ears are cold. Stephen A. walked in that office on Monday with an insufficient hat on. He looked at me. He's like, I ain't going to say nothing to you ever again about your hat. I ain't even had to say nothing to him. He went out his way to say it to me. He understood. It was real. My man over here is right. Ears and fingers are the worst thing to get cold. That is 100% correct. The ears, they're the worst. Rev over here talking about everybody can't wear a money suit, Stephen A. Well, I mean, I can. Anyway, let us move on to your questions. The black Israelites are back in the league. Hey, man, I don't really understand what you mean by back in the league. Uh, I don't think the black Israelites ever left the league. The black Israelites been at you. They've been in these streets. You understand what I'm saying? And now they just like, I don't, I would say, I don't know the last time I thought about the black Israelites, but that's not true. Last time I thought about the black Israelites was in the summer of 2017 as I had just moved to Harlem. And I want to say I was at 125th in Lenox. And there they were, the black Israelites, dressed like they getting ready to go to the future. Like, I feel like they had all some black and purple stuff that was going on. And so then the thing happened with them boys that's down there in, um, you know, the boys from Kentucky that went down to D.C. And then the word got out that they had gotten into an argument with the black Israelites and that one boy's mama referred to them as the black Muslims. And I don't think that's the same thing. Like, I could be mistaken, but I, I, I feel like those are different, like, notions, concepts, and ideas. But anyway, uh, it was the black Israelites, and I saw them, and they were, like, doing black Israelite things. And as I recall, they took a particular umbrage with, Serena Williams 
and they were explaining to people that y'all love Serena Williams so much, but Serena Williams got that white man back at home. Like, I think that was like the crux of what it is that uh, they were saying. So apparently them young boys was on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and who appears but the black Israelites. I didn't know, like, is that their hangout in D.C.? Is that where they be at? Like, from what I've been told, they post up in Times Square in New York, and I got to be honest with you, I am surprised that 5-0 has allowed them to kick it, like, on such prime real estate. Like, I am, I that, that that's a little mind-blowing to me, that they are allowed to, like, kick it over there. Um, and so, yeah, they got into it with the black Israelites, and then the Native American gentleman uh, started playing his drum, and then we saw the stuff that went on with him playing his drum. Now, some of you who have followed me for a little while may know where I'm going with this. And I feel like some of y'all who just watch High Noon a lot may know where I'm going with this, right? But like every, like the, the not every, but like this one video I saw, the person was taking the video from right over the Native American uh, gentleman's, or right over his shoulder. And what you saw was the mallet stick, however you want to call it was banging against the drum and he was singing a song. And then the kids like, you know, they started dancing with it and singing along, you know, whatever. Right. And so my man was there and there was a kid that was in front of him, right. The one with the face that everybody keep talking about. And it was going, it was going, it was going. And I just had this thought in my mind that if you imagine, and I wish somebody could have put this together using some sort of internet tool, but like, Imagine how crazy it would be. I'm not saying that this would be the right thing to do or anything like that. I'm not saying that I wish this sort of thing would happen. I'm talking about simply as a visual image because I think it would be funny in the way that the Internet makes things funny. So if you imagine that, like, buddy's banging on the drum, banging on the drum. And then out of nowhere, instead of being a drum, he pulled that thing back. And what used to be a drumstick has now become a nunchuck right and so it'd be like boom 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 bah! caught you right there with the nunchuck you imagine how painful that would be like remember we was telling y'all trying to explain to y'all the nunchucks are like real serious stuff and people didn't want to listen to me when i was talking about how serious this nunchuck thing really is bah! catch you in the grill with them nunchucks That had been the end. Like, imagine if that was his thing. He actually played the drum with a nunchuck because he was gifted like that. And then all of a sudden it went from being a drum show to being a chuck show. (laughs) Yeah, it would be wild. It would be wild. Here's the thing about that whole story uh, with the kids from Covenant Catholic. Um, What I find interesting about this, one, is like how easily... Attention can be diverted when people want their attention to be diverted. Because, yo, like, the black Israelites went and just changed the whole context of this situation. And it's very interesting because I feel like the black Israelites changed the context of this conversation for people who are unfamiliar with the black Israelites. And, again, I'm surprised. I did not realize how many people who I thought were not familiar with the black Israelites were, in fact, familiar with the black Israelites because they be everywhere in these different cities. And if you're on the East coast, people stumble across uh, 
the black Israelites. But like once the black Israelites came around and they started describing the things that the black is black Israelites were saying, I do think that there's this measure of disconnect for a lot of the audience in this, which is if you are familiar with the black Israelites, you've been walking past and shrugging off the black Israelites like forever. You know what I mean? Like if you are familiar with the black Israelites and their work, the chances are you have encountered similar people who do similar work and you have learned to like act like they're not there and then keep it moving. I find it highly unlikely, highly unlikely that there are black Israelites in Covington, Kentucky. Can you imagine what it must have been like for those young men to be on this field trip in D.C. for the March for Life? And then next thing you know, you look up. And it's the black Israelites. And you got to remember, man, these young boys ain't really got no context of no real history or nothing like that. So they can't even, and, and these are the boys that they are. They're not even looking at them and thinking about how they appear to be inspired by Parliament Funkadelic. They don't even have that, like, frame of reference about them. All they see for the first time, boom, the black Israelites. I, myself, would have had so many questions if I were them. That's just me. You know, and that's before we get to any of this other stuff. And what's so wild about this is this is one thing that I have noticed. Um, Now, this example, all right, I'll make a comparison, and I'm not making an apples-to-apples comparison here. I'm just giving you an understanding of there's a bit of, I think there's, I think there's a similarity in the context that I think can be used to illustrate, but I'm not trying to make the point that these two things are the same. So I lived in Durham during the Duke lacrosse thing. And I think something that's been lost from what happened with the Duke lacrosse situation is the newspaper, the local newspaper of record wrote a story of the alleged victim saying that she had been raped, you know, and that's before we got to this place of, you know, believe women and all the things that people are saying now much more loudly. That's even before then. But it was a black woman in Durham who was alleging that she was sexually assaulted by a white person who went to Duke. Like you couldn't in Durham, you couldn't create anything more sensitive. Like that combination of things put so much together. That's about that town and how it got along with each other at the time and everything else like that. That was that was a huge thing. But what wound up happening subsequent to that. Was a real outpouring of. Pain. From black people around Duke where this for them became something that moved them to get together and to talk about the things that they had been through and the things that they felt like they had endured while they were at Duke. And there were many professors who then put their names out there because this happens very often at schools like this where the black professors, they're not just being professors, man. Like they, they really wind up taking on a mentoring role with students that white professors typically do not. Like it goes beyond being somebody's intellectual mentor, you know, like this is about life type stuff. It's a whole different ball guy. And so a lot of them, you know, came forward in a lot of ways. And the story now is universally believed to be a hoax. Um, the hoax started to unravel pretty early in the process. And 
as the hoax unraveled, whatever concern existed for those black people who were telling their real experiences and speaking from their real pain, whatever attention that was given disappeared. And what you really wound up with on the other side then was a rush to apologize. Now, with the situation with the lacrosse team at Duke, if there was anybody that owed them an apology, it's no question. It's Mike Nifong, the uh, former district attorney. You know, that man told that man told that city that a sexual assault had occurred when it appears that one did not. You know, like I've always felt that black people in Durham have gotten a real bad rap. A lot of people around there have gotten a real bad rap because all the people that everybody else generally trusts came out and said these things. And then it turned out like they got like, they got fooled like everybody else, you know, and all of a sudden it was just like like they the ones who had done something wrong. Um but it really did hit me in that time that people will no longer pay. They won't pay any attention to the real things that have come up in the aftermath of this. They will be far more dedicated to apologizing to who they believe to have been a wronged white party than they ever will be about a legitimately aggrieved non-white party. That's what it's going to be. And I think that's what's happening in, in, in with this Covington case that is interesting because you've got the, all these different angles and people got their different videos and stuff. And you saw this cascade of apologies of people for saying how they had jumped to conclusions and how it did, you know, all these other things. Now, what's funny about this to me is these people saw one video, drew a conclusion, saw a second video decided that the first conclusion was unfair and then went to whatever conclusion that they drew from watching the second video. But I'm not sure that what they got in the second video is enough evidence. If you, if you felt like the first video fooled you, then I feel like the second video should make you say, all right, let's step back and see what happened. Not whoa, I was wrong. But then there was the huge rush to the whoa, I was wrong. And all these boys an apology. And now one of them is going on the today show. I think it's the one with the face. Um, I've seen some about an invite to the white house and those things. And in the end, I think it becomes hard to ignore the reality that a white person who is considered to have been wrongly accused of doing something racist will find more people who wish to hug him or her than will ever be the case for someone who legitimately and sincerely suffers at the hands of racism. Now, the logical question that you then ask from that is if the assumption of being a racist is that bad, then how bad must you assume that actual racism is? It should be enough to engender your sympathy, right? Like if being called a racist is that bad, then you are acknowledging that being a racist is extra terrible. And the reason that being a racist is extra terrible, one would think by some form of logical extension, is that because inflicting racism upon somebody is inflicting a rare cruelty, right? 
but it doesn't work that way. It doesn't go that way. So I ain't going to lie, man, just because the stakes are a little too high on the words that I have to say, I'm going to kind of just sit here and post up and wait till every video in the world comes out. I would just make the point that I think that there is a much larger discussion that is happening specifically about that school and beyond that that is far more important than any of the particulars of that one incident. And if you need that one incident to hop over, hey, man, you might have a problem. Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. Oh, by the way, I see people over there talking about the MAGA hats. That is another level of that discussion, by the way, which is I will say that the MAGA hat is received as quite the provocative symbol by a lot of people. I would also make the point that a lot of people who wear the MAGA hat are doing so because it is provocative. This is only made tricky for one reason, which is this provocative symbol is directly associated with the president of the United States. And it can be very difficult for people in the mainstream to discuss what the ramifications are of that hat, because by extension, whatever you're saying about the hat, you are then saying about the president of the United States. And there's some things that people just don't want to say. You can quibble on your own about whether those things are true. All right. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Can you think of any real life con jobs bigger than Firefest, Sir, have you ever heard of Bernie Madoff? I imagine that you have. That was a bigger con than Firefest. Firefest. I don't think comes anywhere near being the biggest con of all time. What it is, is one of the most hilarious cons of all time, but it is not the biggest con of all time. And I really think like I've only watched one of those Firefest documentaries, but I legitimately believe that it's becoming sanctimonious in the way that people are saying that the problem with Firefest is basically these damn millennials, millennials, and all they care about is what's on the surface. Dog, it was a music festival. Like, like there's, they're like, like, there's nothing deep that we're talking about here. It was a music festival. Of course, it's about something superficial. It's about going someplace cool and listening to music that you think is good. Yeah, they had models there, and it made it seem like there were going to be models at Firefest. Why would I not want to go to a music festival that got models at it? Like, 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 what about that is new? The only thing about this is new is perhaps how easy it is for you to get the information out and like to push the propaganda. But people have been running bait and switch stuff like this, like since forever. 
This isn't anything about millennials. This wasn't anything about this current generation. The only thing that was about the current generation with this was the tools that were used. And perhaps somebody had been a little bit older, they would have been able to see through this. And the thing I think that people needed to see through was if Ja Rule has an executive role in this company, however, Ja Rule is not performing at the festival, then maybe something ain't right about the festival. Because they ain't had any money right, and they needed some artists for the cheap. They got a goddamn multi-platinum star right here. Hey, and say what you want about Ja. It's become a bit of a punchline. Punch but Ja got hits. Ja got jams. Ja got some things that he could play. Ashanti probably would have come if he'd asked nice. You know? Somebody said star seems a little strong. No, it doesn't. Like, go look back. Like, like I mean, 50 really brainwashed people about what Ja is or was in every single way. Ja could put together a concert set. Like, he wasn't even bad. Like, I never, like, really liked Ja Rule. I would have been no fan or nothing. I once had to review, uh, what was, was Rule 316, the second record? I revealed that. It wasn't so bad. Part of his problem, though, is that, like, so much of his steez was Tupac, and then he came out about the same time as DMX, and they both had that gravel thing going. But there's no way around it, man. Ja Rule was a legitimate star. Period. Uh, but, yeah. No, nah, like, I don't think that the Firefest was – it's a really interesting story in what they have. Because the thing about it was, basically, my dude came up with an idea. And before trying to figure out any of the logistics of the idea, he sold the idea. And then it was like, damn, now I got to figure out the logistics. The logistics then proved to be impossible. But never at any point could he just say, damn, this isn't going to work. Right? The other thing I think that's worth noting about this, and I think is maybe like maybe the most interesting part of this whole thing is, the app that he was pushing, like that booking app, that joint seemed like brilliant. Like that could have worked. That had a real chance of working. And now it's associated with this other stuff. Oh, yeah, my bad. And the dude's in jail for six. There's that. Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. How hilarious is it to see people researching dog walking? Hey, man. I have a serious question. Is there anybody out here that, like, other than Nicki Minaj people, that, like, legit dislikes Cardi B at this point? Because I have to say, I've kind of come to love her. You know, I'm kind of past that point in my life where I get all caught up in, like, you know, real hip-hop and stuff like that. Like, I appreciate everybody for what they are. Everybody got a role to play in the game. And I recognize what her role to play is in the game. And she all right with me as a result. And she is, like, the 100% most authentic person I've seen become famous. In fact, like, I feel like what might be the best or maybe most interesting comp to her in terms of becoming famous and how they became famous and the way they did famous is like low key Snoop. 
Right, because like Snoop, Kevin Powell once described Snoop as being the first organic superstar. And there was something to that. Like Snoop just, Snoop very much so kicked it like people you knew. And it was very attainable and very like eye level sort of thing. Now, the thing with Cardi is it becomes a little bit different because there's like girl stuff involved. Forgive me, lack of a better term. You know what I mean, though? But I mean, it's like dressing up and going to balls and, you know, those sorts of things or whatever. But in the end, Cardi B is old girl from the Bronx who's showing up at the Met Gala. Now, you dress it up any other way, doesn't matter. She's still always that. And so now she's out here doing something that is always incredibly valuable, which is um, eye-level politics talk. Bijan didn't hear talking about girl stuff. Is that what they're calling it? You know what I mean, though. Like, I mean, that trade, uh, standard femininity involves do, even someone eye level doing things that are past the eye level place. Just want to make sure everybody understands because I know that the phrasing was rough. But no, nah, man, she is, she's winning on every front. She did that video with them city girls that is like the rump shaker video if women conceived of the rump shaker video. Like it was a fascinating thing to see something that is not at all with consideration of the male gaze. But I mean, I'm male and I was gazing. Anderson perspective. Appreciate that. I said on Twitter, all that video was missing with somebody on the saxophone. That was a real test of how old you were. And then there had to be some dummy in here talking about is it better than tip drill, which is to completely miss the point. And the point, tip drill is about the dudes in the video. The twerk video is about the women in the video. Do you get it, Rick? But yeah, nah. Anyway, Cardi B did say that uh, she was gonna dog walk Tommy Laren, and wow, I like. I feel like at that moment when somebody says that to you, you know, Tommy Laren didn't really understand what that meant. That means it's time for you to not talk about this stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like at that point, you, Tommy Laren, hey man, conversation over. She, I am pretty sure she said she would assault me, and I don't understand exactly what that means. Like in those words. Let it ride. Let it ride. It's a wrap for you on that. Let it go. Can't win, Rock. Can't win. All right, let me see what else we got here. Somebody asked how I felt about Trump inviting those boys to the White House. I just want to know if he gonna feed them. They gonna be he gonna they gonna be eating burgers too. I'll put this here. Somebody say how terrible would the airport in Atlanta be because it shut down all the people coming into town. I'm only putting this up here because Jay Hunt says, man, I hope every TSA employee calls in that weekend. Hey, yo, Lance, get Jay Hunt up out of here. The hell are you talking about? I gotta fly into the airport that weekend. I hope everybody calls in. What for? What the hell are that gonna fix? Just your broke ass can't fly nowhere. Don't mean the rest of us got to get stuck in the airport. What kind of hating nonsense is that? You over there at the bus station just hating on people. 
Somebody said, when's the last time you were positively surprised when sports and society intersected? Dude, when do they not intersect? Megan has somebody said, how much longer before this shutdown actually starts to endanger lives? Dude, we're like two weeks past that point. Like a legit two weeks. There we go. Taraji had to know better, no? Yo, have you seen this? But basically, Taraji Henson was on Instagram and she was showing how she was searching like the way people are talking about mute R. Kelly and she's talking about uh, people weren't doing mute Weinstein or mute, mute Harvey Weinstein. Now, first thing on that, she put on her cape on the red carpet for some dude in a very similar situation, right? Do you remember who it was? Was it Harvey Weinstein? Like, I recall her being on the red carpet and somebody asking her about some man that was in a not too dissimilar place. And she, it was, oh, it wasn't Nate Parker. It might have been Nate Parker. Like, I can't remember who exactly it was, but it was one of those type situations. And she was right there in a place that's not terribly dissimilar to this one. Where I'm confused about this, where everybody's like, how come ain't nobody talking about mutant Harvey Weinstein? And my question is, how the hell do you even know who Harvey Weinstein is? Oh, it was Ryan Seacrest. It was Ryan Seacrest. Anyway, the only way I knew who Harvey Weinstein was, was all this stuff all over the place about all the things that he had done. Like, there's no the people who are most loudly saying, what about Harvey Weinstein? Ask them how they even know who Harvey Weinstein is. The only reason they know is because people were killing him for the things that he was accused of. That's it. Harvey Weinstein isn't famous. Right? Like, there is no muting or Harvey Weinstein. He was silent by and large. No, that man is probably about to go to jail for the rest of his life. Like, he has been forcibly ejected from the paint. R. Kelly, right now, I don't know if he's in the paint, but he's still getting off some high percentage shots. Like, nobody is doing R. Kelly wrong. There's no argument that anybody can make that R. Kelly is being done wrong. And what, what, what this argument, the what about Harvey Weinstein argument, it reminds me of something. When that Chinese cop in New York got convicted because he shot that dude in the pink houses in Brooklyn, and there was a lot of protesting from Chinese people in New York, and they were making a point that I don't think was unfounded, which was the police department would stand behind a white police officer under these circumstances in a way that they did not stand behind our guy. And there's something to that. Cause I believe he was like a rookie cop and he like that job he had is one that they give to the rookies and nobody else wants it, you know, and all that stuff. But the protest were, it was Asians asking, and I think they were specifically Chinese. Like when I said Chinese earlier, I meant Chinese. Um, but 
they were protesting that they were not been they were not being allowed to experience all the trappings of white privilege. And one of the trappings of white privilege is being able to shoot black people if you're a cop and not go to jail for it. Like it was hard to read that as any other way. That reminds me of the R. Kelly thing or the R. Kelly thing reminds me of that because I feel like what you have overwhelmingly is rather than asking for a broad sense of fairness, they are asking that this black man be afforded the privilege to exploit women that they believe white people have. And it can't be that. It simply can't be that. And that's why it's so disturbing when people go to what about on R. Kelly. And look, I feel like I've read a decent bit about Harvey Weinstein, and I feel like what he was doing was unconscionable. And I still think that what we're talking about with R. Kelly is in a whole different stratosphere from what Harvey Weinstein was doing. A whole different stratosphere. And that's with me saying that what Harvey Weinstein did was reprehensible. Here's what I think R. Kelly's doing. Like, we want to put this very simple. He's a pimp who keeps all the whores for himself, at least as far as we can tell. But the, the way he's interacting with these women, the things he's doing with them, that's still, I mean, it's still pimping. They just his. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Did it surprise you to hear about Kells goons coming for Dave Chappelle after that sketch? So, yeah, apparently when the R. Kelly's people came for Dave Chappelle that time, like Chappelle talked about that, they really did uh, come for him. And am I surprised? No. And you know why I'm not surprised? MC Hammer sent his goons after third base, and they had to sit third base next to Michael Jackson at the American Music Awards one time so the MC Hammer's goons would not take them out. So, no, with that in mind, I'm not surprised that R. Kelly would also have goons. How do you feel about the CIA and stuff wishing a happy MLK Day? The thing that got me, I think it was about, I think the CIA is the one that sent this. The thing that got me about when the CIA sent that was they said they were celebrating the assassination of Martin Luther King or the day of or whatever it is. But, I mean, what kind of Freudian slip is that? Yeah, but I mean, but but this is the thing. A, most people don't know that stuff. Most Americans, I don't think, don't really know the things that make those tweets to be kind of ironic. But the other thing is we are in a place where everybody knows that you're supposed to be down with King. So you kind of have to be down with King, even if your very existence like ran antithetical to what King was doing. Like, this is just one of those things that you kind of box that you kind of have to check. Like, think about this. Donald Trump is probably going to have them kids from that, you know, the reporter is going to have the kids from that school come to the White House, okay? And we know where they stand in that whole issue or whatever it is, right? That's the game that he's playing. That is an image that he wants out there. He wants people to know that those young men were invited to the White House. Even he, Without having to, without saying much, had to go to the King Memorial. Like you just got to do it. 
And so all these folks that have to do it, they're going to do it. And then in the end, it's going to look like comedy. But everybody has to do it. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. I see somebody here hadn't heard that third base hammer story. All right, here we go. Last one. How do we view Erica Badu? How the hell am I supposed to tell you how you view Erica Badu? How do you view Erica Badu, Deshaun? Is that like the second stupid thing you said today? I mean, you view her how you view her. She also has had some kind of ridiculous things to say. Um, there was that time a few months ago where she talked about how young girls, you know, need to recognize that men are men and they teachers, they're going to look at you and all this stuff and da, da, da. And I'm like, ooh, even if you think that, I don't know if that's a point I want to try that hard to make. I'm just not that dedicated to being right. Isn't that something? And now she's come in in like a very similar place um, on the R. Kelly stuff. Yeah, and the same thing about Hitler. She makes really, really, really good music. She says really, really, really strange things. Will any of this stop me from going to an Erica Badu concert? Nope. Nope. It won't. Like I saw that Chris Michelle story in the Washington Post, and it's really kind of sad. She's playing to these real small crowds, but I don't even listen to that kind of music so much. So I don't really know like how famous she is or isn't or whatever it is. But basically, man, she went and sang at that Trump thing, and then her whole fan base went away. I don't know if it goes the same way if Erica Badu sings for Trump. I really don't. I really don't. But as of right now, just talking crazy, nah, I go check out another Badu show. She be jamming. She be talking crazy, though. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. We try to do this thing here about once a week. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, if you can't watch the Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the iTunes store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. We are also in the Google Play Store. All right, stay warm. Talk to you next week. Take it easy.